The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, good evening again. How are we all doing? How are we doing? Anybody not doing good? It's okay? Anybody not doing good? Everybody's doing good. Great. So, again, my name is um, Kyoko Katayama, and uh, I've been a member of Common Ground since about 1999. Um, So this evening, I want to tell a healing story, maybe healing stories. But in the process, I'm going to share something personal, vulnerable. So I want you all to cover my back. You hear? Yes. So a few months ago, with a few dozen other teachers and leaders of Common Ground, I participated in Mindful of Race. And it was a three-day training with Ruth King. Anybody knows Ruth King? Yeah. What? If you know Ruth, you know of Ruth King. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Ruth King is um, a respected insight meditation teacher, a life coach, consultant. She was. I don't know if she still is. Is a corporate consultant, and she's an author. Um. It was a really intense and transformative training. And I wanted to continue to taste that flavor of uh, the intensity and learning. Um, And I wanted to digest it and, of course, integrate it into my everyday life. So at the end of the training, I bought a book by her. And without my glasses... The book title was Healing Race. Perfect, I thought. I could really use a book to remember many of the points she made during the training. Well, when I got home, putting on my reading glasses, I eagerly took the book out of my bag. And that's when I discovered that the title of the book is Healing Rage. (laughs) I mixed up the G of rage with the C of race. Well, I was really disappointed. I thought, I don't have race issues. That needs healing. But Ruth was a great teacher, and I was curious what she had to say about it. So I began reading it, and in the introduction of the book, Ruth King writes about how disconnected she was from her emotional pain, the accumulated suffering from her childhood of abuse and neglect. She um, grew up near Watts in the L.A. area, in the black community. So rage was um, the only safe emotion to feel for her. 
and out of her indignant need to master her life, she was determined to become a corporate consultant. So in her words, she'd have the privilege of pointing out to people in authority how wrong they were, and she would be finally right. Well, in the prime, so she did become and became very successful. In the prime of her success as a corporate consultant, one day she had to have an open heart surgery to mend a broken heart in her, a broken valve in her heart. So she had no choice but to surrender to care by the healthcare professionals and her community. The surgery and haunting stillness of her recovery made her in touch with her vulnerability. She remembered the war zone. That's how she called it, the war zone of her childhood. And so she used that opportunity to examine her incessant indignation and rage that protected her from getting too close to that raw pain. She discovered that her rage was really about a heart sickness, not just of her own, but the heart sickness of the world. It's both. The open surgery transformed into a wide open heart for her. So with the clarity and compassion she gleamed, she was called to help heal the rage, heal the heart sickness individually and collectively. And that's why she wrote the book. By the way, she actually uh, wrote a second book. and that's, uh, It's not called The Healing Race, but it's called uh, Mindful of Race. Uh, what's the actual title? Mindful, um, mindful of race, transforming racism from inside out. It's highly recommended. Um, so through mindfulness practice, deep inquiries, and redemptive actions, she understood how the mind gets imprisoned and what it takes to release it. She tasted freedom and unbound love. So in the introduction to Healing Rage book, she writes, My journey revealed that rage deserved my attention and respect. Rage deserved my attention and respect. And that I could not be fully emancipated until I healed my relationship with my parents. She was abused and neglected by her mom and dad. It wasn't enough to know I had suffered. I needed to return to that suffering, face it head on with love before I could move forward and genuinely connect with other people and life itself. The first step in healing is to name our suffering, to acknowledge the suffering is here. Only then we can face it head on. 
until we really acknowledge our suffering, healing cannot begin. Well, it's easily said than done. Because each of us has developed a system of defense and avoidance habits to not face our pain. We are afraid that we might be overwhelmed, feel ashamed, or too vulnerable. But this is the Buddha's teaching. What is the first noble truth? Yes, life involves suffering in obvious and subtle forms. And we remain ignorant and confused until we see our suffering in its specific way as it manifests in our life. Because it shows up differently for different people. In the face of our culture's strong resistance to name our suffering, it's really tempting to bypass it. We are in the habit of rationalizing it, to be distracted from it, or to make it about something or someone else. Is that familiar? Have you noticed how the thinking mind is so good at it? So our practice is to lean in to our suffering without getting lost in its story. We have to bear witness to our pain before we can make any redemptive actions. Using meditation to skip over this step for the sake of peace is called spiritual bypassing. And it does not lead to true liberation and love. In the process of turning away from the suffering that is there, we disown a part of us. And we need all of our parts to awaken. You know, it's the body that's always present in the moment. The body knows when we are in pain, and it will tell you what it needs to begin the healing. But we have to listen to it and with sincerity. We need to slow down, step back, and give space for the experience of suffering to be there as it is. Make space around it to hold it with care. Rebecca Solnit, an author, wrote, Pain serves a purpose. Without it, you are in danger. When you cannot feel what you cannot feel, you cannot take care of. What you cannot feel, you cannot take care of. Each moment of our suffering, whether subtle or intense or obvious, is an invitation. It's an invitation to awaken to understanding its nature and the nature of the mind and heart. By leaning into it, as Ruth wrote, 
with respect and attention. The heart is released and healing begins to happen on its own. And that movement of the heart is trustworthy. We get to trust that. Do you think healing is necessary for liberation? Think about that. Is healing necessary for liberation? Healing removes the obstacles, peeling off those false narratives that do not reflect our truth. Rachel Naomi Raymond, author and teacher of alternative medicine, said, healing may not be so much about getting better as about letting go of everything that isn't you. By letting go of everything that isn't you, all of the expectations, all of the beliefs, and becoming who you are. Ruth King saw that her individual heart sickness and that of the world were intrinsically connected. They were bound together. The dehumanization of the people of color due to their skin, physical ability, or class, or gender status, is the heart sickness of the world. And Ruth's personal heart sickness was bound to it. For those of us marginalized, this realization lightens the burden of our pain. We begin to see that our pain is the pain of the world, albeit often unacknowledged. So Ruth King came to understand the meaning of a quote often attributed to Nelson Mandela. He said, when we can sit in the face of insanity or dislike and be free from the need to make it different, then we are free. And this comes from the man who was in prison for 26 or 28 years. He found freedom. Rhonda McGee, a law professor and mindfulness teacher, said, at the core of racial suffering is denial about our belonging. That is our kinship and our membership in each other's lives. The separation inherent in the entrenched pattern of racial suffering is not just a division of races. The consciousness or unconsciousness that supports racial suffering cuts people out of our hearts, then has us try to live as if cutting does not hurt. We have come to accept this, this dismemberment as normal and move about our lives in search of spiritual freedom and contentment, as if we are not bleeding from the wounds of separation. We have convinced ourselves that we can live with missing body parts, with some folks and without others, and still be whole, happy, and peaceful. I've been a psychotherapist for over 30 years, 
And I thought I've done a fair amount of healing myself while facilitating others' healing. And besides, by now, <clears throat> I am a grandmother and an elder in the community. And it has been decades since the traumatic experiences being of being a young immigrant and a person of color in mostly white community. But in the training with Ruth King, some deep pain long forgotten stirred in me. Oh, no, dear pain, it's not a convenient time. <laughs> Why we laugh? Because we know that one, right? It's not a convenient time. But it was there, whimpering. And I recognized its invitation. I agreed to listen with care. And then there was a strange relief in turning towards old wound with caring determination to attend to it. I was surprised by that. Fifty-some years ago, I was a young immigrant, literally fresh off the boat. We came across a boat crossing the Pacific, taking ten days. Uprooted from my culture, my language, my family and friends, I felt really vulnerable and disoriented. I remember that weird, uncomfortable feeling of helplessly having to expose my ignorance and at the same time a desperate and secret longing to be seen and heard for my goodness. To feel that I get to belong. But I was made the other. I had no choice about how I looked and how my speech sounded. I felt judged for it by people's glances and by their avoidances. And things felt already so bad, I couldn't afford to make any blunder to make it worse. Of course, the more anxious I felt, the more I was lost. And there was no way I could avoid making mistakes because I just didn't know the ropes. So Ruth coped by raging, and I coped by anxiously trying not to expose my ignorance and failing in that over and over If my therapy practice gave me grounding for understanding psychological pain and healing of it, the mindfulness practice supported slowing down to make space between suffering and awareness. That awareness is a true refuge, not the false construct of self or judgment of the others. In mindfulness, that awareness is the means and end. The awareness, the kind, 
loving awareness. From the perspective of spiritual practice, a healing change is is not an outcome of something you direct, but it's a fruit, a natural ripening of caring attention. If being a therapist gave me a ton of practice in leaning into the experiences of people's stories and suffering, mindfulness gave me the practice of spaciousness. It is a loving, kind, clear, open space to hold and observe all that happens within and without and beyond the stories. So what was it that that got stirred in, in the Ruth King's training? In order to belong and function in predominantly white community, and especially in my profession, I had to let go or make invisible the parts of me that actually belonged to me and made me who I was. In order to belong, I forfeited my childhood songs that comforted me. The smell of taste and things that rooted me to my childhood home, I had to let go. I let go of thinking and writing in my mother tongue. And when I started to dream in English, I stopped seeing the faces of my beloved friends and family I left behind. I noticed that. That was a kind of a turning point. One morning I woke up and I was dreaming in English. When we have privileges, oppression is rather an abstract term. But I think all of us can relate to the idea of other, and it's become a verb, othering. It's, some, it's something most of us, I think all of us do, often unconsciously. Othering is making other what's not comfortable, what's inconvenient, or what's not easy to understand. Othering can be a treatment of person or a group of people as intrinsically different from oneself. You know, when I first arrived in this country, I had to fill an alien registration card. And it's still called that sometimes. Alien in dictionary is defined as unfamiliar and disturbing or distasteful. I still cringe when I hear that word being used to describe a person. Well, aliens come from the Mars, right? (laughs) Being an alien leads to alienation. Again, the dictionary defines alienation as a state of depersonalization or loss of identity in which the self seems unreal, thought to be caused by difficulties in relating to society and the resulting prolonged inhibition of emotions, like Ruth 
it's, it's actually remarkable that the dictionary so aptly described my state of being in those early years. Ruth King had lived through the suffering of being the other in its intersectionality, healed and transformed. Even though we all know we have to heal and transform over and over again. And now she spreads the good news to transform ourselves and our Sangha. Because, as John Powell puts it, the opposite of othering is not saming. The opposite of othering is not saming. It is belonging. A central principle of Buddhist ethics is that we practice not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of all. So the conditioning that perpetuates racial suffering and separation is to be known and uprooted through our practice and our actions. We all have a part to play in the symphony of racial healing. In one of her Dharma talks, Ruth King began the talk like this. She said, I'd like to introduce you to some of my my children. And she recited the name, the place, and the date of death of black men and women, girls and boys who were killed by the police. It was a long list. And in a somber tone, she concluded the list by naming herself, I am Ruth King. I am their mother. I am an elder of this planet. And in that way, she took her seat. She used her agency to help awaken people that those who were killed are her children. And if mindfulness matters, their deaths matter to all of us. I had a similar experience sitting in retreat with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams last fall. Who knows Angel Kyoto Williams? She was here, right. Who was here last uh, two Sundays ago? Oh, okay. Um, so it, her proper title is Reverend, but I have a hard time pronouncing Reverend because there's an R in it. So I'm just going to say her name, Angel. Um, So Angel is a Dharma teacher in Zen tradition and one of the three black women ordained, and she's an author. She is considered a a maverick teacher. Both Ruth King and Angel understand that racism not only traumatized people of color, it is harmful to all of us. It permeates every fabric of our social structure. 
it is a reality. It's a reality. Then, so racism and healing from it is also Dharma. Ruth King and Angel Kyoto Williams embodied this understanding. This was the teaching missing for me all these years in order to heal, to fully experience my wholeness and come home to myself. You know the word heal or healing share the same roots as whole, W-H-O-L-E, and holy, H-O-L-Y. Healing is mending together of something that was torn apart, divided, separated. So healing is connecting, connecting the dots, connecting to our inherent goodness, connecting to the gift of aliveness, connecting to the love that is boundless, love that excludes nothing. So as the etymology implies, the healing is a holy process. In the healing paths, as we walk the road in the conditioned world, we touch the holy, the unconditioned. Is healing necessary for liberation? So just a few weeks ago, I think it was uh, July 14th, 15th, um, Common Ground celebrated 25th anniversary, as most of you know. Joseph Goldstein, everybody knows who he is, right? Anybody who doesn't know? He's a, like, he, okay, I'll, I'll explain. So he's a founder, one of the founders of Insight Meditation, this tradition. Um, and um, so he agreed to come to Common Ground to honor this wonderful occasion, marking the 25th anniversary of founding of Common Ground. Um, he really wanted to honor Mark and Wynne. And um, I was traveling in Africa in the spring, and I didn't know the details of the plan of how that was going to unfold. And I came home in late May to find out that Common Ground is also co-sponsoring with Closing Water Zen Center, Angel Kyoto Williams' visit to the cities. And it would be exactly the same time as Joseph's talk and his reception. Well, that put me in a tizzy. I expected to be in Joseph's presence. Joseph is aging, and he may not come to Minnesota again. Joseph, along with Sharon Salzberg and Jack Confield, founded the... Uh, IMS, Insight Meditation Center, in Barrie, Massachusetts. He, they, brought the Dharma to America. Because of him, the Dharma was available to Mark and Wynne, who, in turn, founded 
common ground and have made the Dhamma available for us. That's why we're here tonight, right? I feel indebted and grateful to Joseph's teaching, to Mark and Wynn. I sincerely wished to pay homage to him and to honor Mark and Wynn. At the same time, Angel Kilda Williams' teaching represented the cutting edge of my spiritual practice and my work in the world. I needed support and inspiration for my fledgling understanding of how the Dharma informs liberation, especially that of the oppressed and the marginalized. Ruth King and Angel Kilda Williams showed an embodied understanding of this, the Dharma liberation of oppressed. It's, it's actually hard to describe, um, but, but they enter the Dharma, and they actually, I think Angel Kilda Williams say that, they enter the Dharma through the intersectionality of their blackness and queerness. They entered the Dharma through the intersectionality of their blackness and their queerness. Who they were mattered. And their presence to me was the missing link in the teaching I received in the past. And I think this was not just my personal query, but it is a concern for the future of the Buddhism in America. Angel Kyoto Williams said, until we truly comprehend multiplicity, we cannot appreciate oneness. And this is also our society's task. How can I choose between Joseph, who brought the Dharma to us and me, and Angel Kyoto Williams, who embodies taking of our seat with agency and freedom in this broken world? This should not be a choice for I embraced both, and it felt like splitting my body in half and having to choose which side is true me. I had a dream, maybe a fantasy, maybe a vision, in which Joseph would come to the Sunday morning Dharma talk by Dharma talk by Angel Kyoto Williams because she was invited. And at the end, are you smiling because you know the outcome of it? You don't know, okay. <laughs> yeah. Shh. So um, so the dream is Joseph would come to the Sunday morning Dharma talk by Angel, and at the end, smiling, they embrace each other. And when that would happen, 
all that were torn apart, othered, and divided would come together and mend. Then we will receive how vast the Dharma is, past, present, and future, all encompassed in the present moment, Dharma so vast beyond our imagination, the embrace, the touching of the hearts, an invitation towards liberation through the luminous door. I have this little ant that is crawling on me and biting me. So anyway, in the end, I chose to go to the retreat with Angel at Clouds and missed Joseph's talk. Who were there at Joseph's talk? Because there were 600 people. So there would be 600 people who would hear his teaching while we, several dozens of us, about 70% people of color, sat in silence with Angel Kyoto Williams. And by then I was at peace to let go. I think I chose because it mattered to me that my body was there practicing in that particular space with Angel. And I assumed Joseph's talk would be recorded and I could hear it. The Sunday following the retreat, I went to hear Angel's talk at Common Ground. And the Dharma Hall was packed, and there was an overflow. And the overflow people went to the community room where they could hear. And she gave a powerful talk on choosing liberation. And her talk is available on um, on the audio dharma on Common Ground website now. So I really recommend that you listen to that. So maybe you know what I mean. And do you know what happened when she finished her dharma talk? Mark brought Joseph to introduce him to Angel Kyoto Williams. Joseph, after all, did come to hear her talk. And they embraced warmly and both smiling. Joseph said, Too bad I have to go to the airport. We have lots to talk about. And I was right next to them, I mean, right there, when this happened. Tears rolling down my cheek. The Dharma is vast, and what is once torn does come together and heal. It's really true. We do belong to one another. So let's just sit for a moment before discussion. Let the story settle. 
and see what is arising in you. So we have about 15 minutes. I, I have another story, but um, I think that's enough. Um, I, of course, I'm interested in any comments or questions, but I'm also curious if you have a healing story that you'd like to share. Hi, I'm Nancy Witzloud. Um, it was actually a hand wiping a tear away, so um, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I do have a story, and it's I'm going to keep it brief because it could be really long. But um, the timing of this is so perfect, and I wasn't going to come tonight, but I really had, I felt called to come, and my son is playing soccer down the street (laughs) while I'm here, so this is just so perfect. Um, In a a nutshell, when I was 21, I moved to New York, and I, to dance just for two summers, or two, two, sorry, two months in the summer. And I was in the middle of college, and I ended up, um, I was just in a really tough, dark time in my life, and I ended up joining a Christian church that um, really wasn't for me. It just was, it was much too conservative for me, but I felt the need for community. And it, it was, in some ways, it, it filled a hole. And um, long story short, I ended up getting married pretty quickly in that community, and um, it just led me down a path that had a lot of suffering. And I ended up having two beautiful children come out of that marriage, but the marriage didn't, didn't last. Um, we moved back here after we'd been married for 12 years and went through a really painful divorce. And that, it was during that divorce that I found Common Ground 10 years ago and the Dharma and the practice and... Um, but there's been still a lot of suffering and a lot of deep um, pain that came out of just that experience for me. And raising kids in a in a what felt like a broken family, and um, not having a lot of hope that that suffering and that pain could really be healed. So the reason why it's been a process of healing these past ten years, and we've come a really long way. And but the reason why it's so perfect for today, what you shared is that this morning, my younger son, who's fourteen, really wanted to get baptized, and my two boys are 
They still, they would say they're Christian, which is interesting because neither their dad or I um, go to church anymore. But our boys do, and they go to a lovely church that I think is great, and I really support their path. Um, But my younger son really wanted to get baptized, and I wanted to support that for him because it just meant so much. So just this morning, um, he got baptized in the Mississippi River, and their, their dad came. And we had the most beautiful celebration of our beautiful children and what came out of what felt like so much suffering and such a difficult path. Um, and then it, it was somehow it was our son just getting baptized as part of the tradition that brought us together that was so perfect in, in a way that I could never have imagined even. Like it was just like a dream. And um, I just am so grateful and sort of in awe of the gift of that moment and that we're family. Like it was, it just had this feeling of like we're family, we're not broken. It's, it's not traditional, but it's beautiful and it's perfect and it's whole. Thank you. Blessings on your family. Thanks. There, now it's on. Oh, yeah. geez. <laughs> uh, that felt kind of like a long journey coming over here. Um, I'm going through some healing. I um, had some unexplained health issues in the last year and a half that have permanently affected my vision. And um, I went through seven months of dealing with doctors who wanted to diagnose me with something that, I, that wasn't the issue and not acknowledging what I was going through. And so I had to really take it upon myself to figure out how to heal and get myself back. And that was everything from acupuncture to diet to practicing verbal gratitude to purging possessions and negative people and eliminating stress. And um, I got to the most present place I have ever been in my life. Um, I was day-to-day. I was survival. And when I stopped looking more than a few days out, even though I was under uh, a lot of stress of uh, a potential severe diagnosis and losing a big part of a business that I had built and medical bills, um, I was happiest I think I've ever been. And I was very open. And I went to celebrate regaining my health and um, my business uh, by planning a five-week trip to Thailand by myself. I'm a big traveler. And on the same day, I met a man who um, later I learned was not the person he projected himself to be or um, any of his intentions with me. He fooled me and my family, and he very much victimized and abused and violated me. And this triggered, uh, shortly after, my health issues to reoccur. And being knocked down for the third time um, really blew me away and caused me to address and assess everything. I sold my home. 
I sold every single piece of furniture. I got rid of like half of the rest of the stuff and I put it all in a closet and I just started talking to anybody and everybody who would listen um, that I needed to figure out a different path because clearly I wasn't on the right one. And um, I've since had a good turnaround. I'm um, now um, in a new job with a purpose and um, things are good, but healing is a slow process. And I think what was most frustrating for me about this person coming in and admittedly maliciously going after me was that I had gotten to such a great point and I have to just, I had to start over. But with the awareness that if I did it before, I could do it again. But what spoke to me tonight was the just the, the focus on the word rage because I had a lot of it. And a lot of people did not respond well, especially women, to me sharing my story. And they told me that I just needed to put this thing behind me. And I had a lot of rage. And it's something that you don't know what to do with because it's it's seen as negative. And I think that uh, it was very good for me to hear that it needs to be validated and it needs to be part of the whole healing process. And I think that's an important important message. So thank you for that. I am. <laughs> I'm going to go home and read it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Uh, my name is Luis. Um, I wanted to thank you for sharing your story about immigrating to the United States. I feel like I have had a hard time describing how I felt when I came here, and and you just like described it for me, like exactly how I felt when I came here, and I just really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I personally believe that sharing those stories help healing in a way, so I thank you. Hi, my name is Robert, and um, thank you, Kyoto. And for, for those of you who have just shared, um, thank you for being that vulnerable and being able to speak about that. I think we all need to hear all of our stories, um, especially those that involve the struggle we have with recovery, um, from anything. Uh, it doesn't have to be racism, it can be uh, sexism or uh, bad employment, bad families, difficult families, I'll say. Uh, so I really do appreciate hearing and those people who are being vulnerable tonight speaking about your stories. For myself, um, the, the healing, you asked for a healing situation, and um, I had uh, about in the mid-80s, I should say early 80s, I had a relationship that really uh, was a total disaster and I could not recover from it. And I had been studying Tibetan Buddhism in New York, where I'm from, and um, we got a chance to have an audience with the Dalai Lama. And um, so I asked him, you know, I'm in pain about this relationship and I can't get it out of my head. Um, and he talked to his translator standing next to him, and the translator explained to him. He smiled at me. I was sitting right in front of him. And he smiled, and he went like this. That person, that person is gone. 
The only person you need to be concerned about and care about is yourself right now. And I think that it's, I mean, that was a, obviously a rare and wonderful thing to happen, but it was a truly wonderful lesson for me. Thank you so much. I was also at the two talks from, well, you got to have a workshop with them, but Ruth King and Reverend Angel. And I would have to say something really shifted with when, when Ruth King was here for myself and understanding myself as a person of color, being an adopted Korean American raised by white people. <laughs> um, and so that healing, it's just, it's just starting. And it's, it's like identifying what I, what I need to heal that I, I never even knew was there. And then with Reverend Angel, just bringing so much new information and new ways to look at things that I'm still, I, I think about that talk and you got to ex have a workshop with her, but just, just that talk. I think about different aspects of that every day. Mm -hmm. It was so powerful. Time for one short one. My story is a little different and it's probably perhaps naive, but um, my son married a wonderful young woman from Kenya and they now have a four-week-old four baby and her father just went to Kenya. He has, a, he has an automobile repair business here. He's been here for 10 years. He's been doing very well. His whole family works in the business. And uh, he, just went, he just came back from Kenya from visiting there, bringing me all kinds of gifts. And just, we had a wonderful time. So it, it isn't all darkness. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, I just want to offer a merit. So may the benefit of our practice, our learning, our belonging to each other, our practice, may all of that benefit all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. May all beings live with ease. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you. Have a good evening. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.